Hello, hello, hello. This is Tooth Be Told, Dr. Kyle Dumpert. This is Dr. Walter Aka, and we have a, a special guest, as you can see. Come on, man. You don't need an introduction. Just bring yourself in here. Yes, sir. I am so excited to be uh, back with my brothers from two different mothers. <laughs> um, I miss you guys. It's been a while, but I've been following uh, a lot of your episodes. Um, yeah, man. And Especially that Great Recession one and, and uh, the hiring and all that stuff. Uh, that was a pretty yeah. good episode. Yeah, Right. And it's funny because, you know, I tried an experiment. I wanted to try to bring people to the YouTube version so they could see and watch the videos. It felt miserably because people kept calling me and asking me, hey, when do you put the next podcast up and so forth. So, so yeah. So, uh, that felt miserably. Uh, so, going <laughs> We're going learning. Forward, We're just, learning. Yeah, yeah, going forward, I'm just going to keep it with both. Like, I'll put it on, on, on podcasts and then I'll also put it on YouTube. But it, it was a big failure. It was a big failure. But the reason why we brought you back on was because, you know, we just wanted to, what, figure out how residency is treating you, right? The man who decided to go back for the plan, you know what I mean? For those that don't, uh, for those that don't recognize it, it's Dr. Leroy Horton. Uh, if you don't recognize oh, yeah, his yeah. voice. <laughs> he's, been on, he's been on enough. Oh yeah. He's been on enough podcasts. We need to start catching up here, but yeah, right. you know, uh, so Dr. Horton, uh, backstory, he went, he was in private practice, had his own practice and now is in residency for periodontics. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, I wanted to kind of catch up with him and see how everything is going with that. Yeah. You know, how he's acclimated because I know initially it was tough, but it had to be tough. Going from private practice, doing what you wanted to do, when you wanted to do it. Making money. now having – okay, yes. We try to not talk about money. <laughs> we sound, we so we don't sound like we're money hungry. But right, yeah. he, he had a paycheck coming in. Now he's basically probably paying somebody or getting a scholarship or something that's not uh, equivalent to what he was making. So that's another story, right? So, so how has life been since you started? So it's almost, what, a year now, almost. Yeah, just about. We're um, partly into our last term for the first year. Mm-hmm. It's been it's been quite a journey. I'll be honest with you. Um, it's a mixed bag of positive and negative, right? So yes, I am making less money. Like technically, I'm in the red because of how much I'm paying in tuition. But I'm still working Saturdays, so I'm able to okay. make a pretty good income. And the, the couple officers I work for actually have been doing a really good job at kind of stacking the deck when I'm there. So it's either implants all day or wisdom teeth all day. So it's, it's kind of high production items. Okay. Um, so overall, my, I mean, you know, I, my cost of living for the most part is almost covered. And so I haven't had to dip into my bag of savings too much. Um, and I, I decided to take out student loans for the first year to cover tuition and cost of living just so I can gauge what my new costs would be before I decide coming out of pocket. You know, and, and it's graduate level training, so the financial aid is always there if you want it, you know, regardless of your income. But, you know, so that that took a little time to acclimate to, but I think I've found my zone as far as my little tiny studio apartment in Portland and driving back on the weekends to Tacoma, which is a three hour drive and, you know, seeing my kids as much as I can, um, which for the most part, they're all grown. My kids are 25, 18 and just turned 16. So, um, so you had, you had these kids when you were like 10. When I was 10, yeah, yeah, yeah. We passed, you know, I told you I'm from Greece. In Greece, we move fast. (laughs) You got to make sure people know that. Right. (laughs) 
But I think one of the difficulties I've run into, and both of you can probably attest to it, is um, the culture in academia can be a little challenging when you're coming from private practice. In private practice, it's all about, you know, if you need something done, you get it done. It's about efficiency. Academia has a lot of red tape and processes. There's a fair amount of ego. And uh, perio especially is a very... So we've always made fun of oral surgeons for being like the jocks, like the real arrogant, cocky jocks, yeah, the high yeah, school football yeah, player. Yeah. Um, I liken Perio to the kids who were kind of the, the nerdy outcasts <laughs> who now have an opportunity to like shit on residents and students because <laughs> there's, there's, you know, don't get me wrong. There's a number of, of uh, fact members that I love. Um, they're very helpful. They treat you like a colleague. Um, and there's other ones that just seem, you know, there's an air of just self aggrandizing, a lot of self aggrandizing that goes on. Um, you know, luckily for me, I'm at the age where if I have a bad day or if, you know, a, a faculty member is being a little condescending towards me, like to me, it doesn't make or break my identity because I'm older, I'm established, I've, done shit i know that i'm a pretty kick-ass clinician overall whether or not i did well on this test or i answered the question the way you wanted me to answer it but i feel bad for some of my co-residents who are in their you know mid to to late 20s and they really don't have an identity because they've been a professional student all their life and you just see how it affects them stress affects them um and so i i don't like that because i feel like my job if i was an educator is to inspire, is to educate, and is to do whatever it takes on my end to make you proficient, competent, knowledgeable. Whereas in academia, there's a lot, especially in graduate level training, a large part of it is like a an expensive self study course. Mm. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Um, so notice, I'm, notice, I'm not saying anything. <laughs> <laughs> I. A hundred percent agree with everything you're saying. I'm not. This is your story, so I'm gonna yeah. keep quiet. I'm gonna keep quiet. Now you were you were doing some pretty high level stuff before you went in back into Perio, where most Perio residents are they're they're able to start with a or the instructors are able to start with a blank slate as far as teaching them this is the first time you're ever doing a gingival graft surgery or first time doing implants or and you've you've been doing a lot of that stuff at a pretty high level before residency yeah, how, how, i mean in all honesty you were doing stuff that we did in third year our final year of surgery residency you were doing that in private practice so then to me i remember thinking to myself like why the hell is this guy going back to school <laughs> No, yeah. I really did. I was like, I don't yeah. get it. Like, does he want to do profis and, and SRPs? And like, I, don't, I didn't understand. And then from both of you, it's like, you know, you go from like doing like jaw surgery to now doing like cleanings yeah. your first semester. But to a dental student who just went and got into the residency, that's normal transition. Yes. Right? So you've done that. So now you're transitioning to more cleaning. Then you progressively get more and more into technical stuff, into the more advanced surgeries. You were doing advanced surgery stuff already. So, I mean, to me, I would have thought you would have went backwards. Because that's how I was when I did one year at the VA hospital. You know, I felt like I was going backwards. Right. So I can only imagine how you felt. 
You know, I, that took a little getting used to because, yes, you know, my first six months, uh, especially because the way the, the program works, other programs they have, you could do limited exams, limited care. Um, and so some of my buddies, like at, at the University of Washington program, they've done some stuff that I haven't done yet in my program as uh, limited treatment. Um, this program's philosophy is you cultivate your own patients. So everything starts with a, a comprehensive exam. You got to get them through initial therapy, get them primed and ready for the surgeries that you've, you've planned and so forth, which I can see the benefits of both, right? I haven't complained too much because I have had more time to focus on the didactics, um, and the research, which was kind of one of the main reasons I went to it to begin with. Um, but also because I work on Saturdays, things that I'm learning that I haven't quite done in residency uh, clinicals, I'm doing every Saturday when I work. Um, and so I haven't really, I don't feel like I've backslid too much because I'm still active. I'm mm. still doing plenty of implants, plenty of surgery, sinus lifts uh, once a week, uh, whether or not I'm quite there and building up my patient uh, caseload in residency. Um, but absolutely. I'm, and I think that for me, it's a, it was a good exercise in humbling myself, right? Because as advanced as I was clinically, there was huge gaps in my knowledge that, you know, I even realized that I, I had even bigger gaps as I started learning. Right now, mind you, some of that is perio is really big on knowing the history of everything. Yeah. Right. So yeah. we're 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 having to memorize and being tested on you know articles from the 60s and 50s some of which have been updated and are outdated and no longer relevant but it's you know it's part of learning the the science the curriculum of it and i, I we call that we call that classic lit classic yes. literature <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> very classic you have, every, you have to give everything a name classic literature very classic yes. uh, but but also what you realize with um, classic literature is a lot of it was based on, you know, Norwegian and Nordic or predominantly white populations. And at least some of our faculty members that are um, um, from more, uh, you know, diverse ethnic backgrounds, they do a pretty good job of acknowledging like, hey, take this with a grain of salt because this is not a very representative population, even though it was a landmark study, because we know the world is very big. It's bigger than Sweden, right. you know. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I'm enjoying the process so far, but I really had to learn to humble myself and, you know, yes, sir, no, ma'am, or yes, yes, sir, yes, ma'am to pretty much everything, even if I disagree with it. Um, because as, as you've both of you have probably seen in academia, a lot of professors feel like the way they learned it and the way they teach it is how everyone does it. And you just have to remind them like, mm, well, we kind of learned it different, but you're the boss. So while I'm here, I'll do it your way. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that's the biggest part is I really had to go in and humble myself and, you know, not try and walk in like, you know, an experienced rock star. And in doing so, I did realize how many holes I had in my game. So I do appreciate the stuff that I am learning. Um, and I definitely can't wait until I get into second and third year and my caseload really builds up and I'm doing the more advanced, you know, especially the soft tissue perio stuff. So I think that's where a lot of my game was lacking was the, the soft tissue. Yeah. Um, and here, here's a question for you. Did you find that a lot of your professors and a lot of stuff in academia were very much of a 
hero mentality. Like we need to save this tooth at, at no matter what cost, you know, because I remember going through residency and thinking like, man, we're saving this tooth. Okay, let's do it. You know, like teeth were moving. I mean, literally you could blow on it and it was like, Hey, <laughs> and it was like, all right, cool. Let's try to figure out how we can keep this tooth in this mouth. And, and as much as I, I you know, I, I believe that that's what perio is. Periodontal periodontics is basically trying to work with uh, the bone and the soft tissue and everything to try to keep everything the way it is. Sometimes you just have to say that's a lost cause, right? But I felt like in residency we weren't saying that as much. You know, it depends. the The, the career academics definitely, you know, they want to see. Well, let's do initial therapy and let's do maintenances for two years and see if we can get these class three mobilities to firm up. Whereas a lot of the affiliate faculty, um, and I think in dental school it was pretty similar where um, the, the, the clinical faculty that were there, you know, one day a week, two days a week, they're concerned about, all right, what can we do that's definitive? The patient has money now. Patient has insurance coverage now. They may not have it for two years. Um, what's the thing that we know for sure we can do to get them to this point, right? And so it is the, one of the struggles I have is, I'll, I'll do an initial workup with a faculty member that's a private practice that's there, you know, once a week, once a month. And they have that, you know, let's, let's find some definitive treatment for this patient. But then the patient will get scheduled on a day that the attending faculty is, you know, more of a career academic. And then they're looking at you like, why are you doing surgery? Why aren't you doing that? You know what I mean? Why don't you do maintenance and then, you know, monitor for six months and see what happens and you're just, you know, I, I'm just like, I'm just doing what I was told. You're stuck you in know? between. I'm stuck in between. Um, but definitely, you know, I don't think I'm going to have that mentality when I get out because I'm still very much private practice driven in that I do have to take into account what the patient's history is, what their means are, where they might be two years from now. Um, you know, and patients also do want some expediency. You know, if they come in, and, um, you know, there's a, a couple teeth that they've been told several times need to come out. You know, who am I to say, all right, you want something done within the next two months, but I'm going to talk you into a year worth of waiting to see what we can save, what we can p potentially keep. And so it's you kind of have to develop your own practice philosophy. And I don't think I'm sold on the ultra heroics. Um, but I'm also not the other way where I just, you know, yank, want to yank teeth all day and place implants because there's complications with implants that, you know. Oh. Um, okay. So you just basically did a great transition. That was, right? yeah. It was because what I'm thinking, <laughs> is, I'm sure Colin knows this, but this, there's this new group of dentists, new group of clinicians, new group of whoever that believe that we got to take teeth out. If you had root canal and it failed, you just got to take it out and place an implant. Like everybody's big on all on fours. Like I get patients asking me all the time, hey, what happened to, you know, those teeth in a day situation? Yeah. And I'm always just like, well, yeah, it's a temporary tooth. It's not the permanent tooth. But no one ever says that. Right. Right. They did this. I mean, they've done great marketing. And I mean, I'm not going to say any names, but they've done great marketing to yeah. make it seem like you literally taking out your teeth means nothing. Right. Cutting all that bone. <laughs> cutting all that bone away means nothing. Imagine if you went to your doctor for and you had a wart 
or, or like a pimple. They're like, yeah, that arm has to go. Yeah. Yes. You know? <laughs> that's, what, that's, that's what we're doing, I feel like. It's like, oh, well, I have a pimple here. Well, that jaw needs to go now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, we decide one little problem needs to basically be exacerbated towards the whole entire mouth. And they think that losing people, I've had people the same that have every tooth in their mouth. And I mean, they've had some restorative work done. They've had crowns and I I just want to get all my teeth out and get implants. And they think it's going to be better than what they have. And no, it's if you can't take care of real teeth, it's a lot harder to take care of a bridge that's sitting on top of four or six implants and getting in underneath things, cleaning your ham sandwich out. It's a lot harder to take care of that stuff than just maintaining your own teeth. So you're right. They've they've, they've done a great job of marketing this as this is the best of the best that you can do to yourself. Well, but then whose fault is that? Is it the dentist, the, the, uh, you know, patient, you know, insurance, like, who is responsible for this, where we're at right now, right? Because I think, and, and you guys are all in the same, you remember when sleep apnea was the big thing, right? right. Then Invisalign, then it was veneers, right? right? And I remember <laughs> composite, I'm getting, I'm dating myself, but composite, <laughs> you know, composite veneers were hot when I was first going through dental school, right? Everybody was an aesthetic dentist, everybody. My grandmother's an aesthetic dentist, right? You know, it's like, it was like Oprah, like, hey, you're an aesthetic dentist. And, you know, then, it, then it became sleep apnea, and now it's implantologist. Everybody's an implantologist without even knowing how to do the basics, which is taking a tooth out. Yeah. But everybody wants to do full mouth rehabs. You know, and I was watching a, a lecture series, and the guy basically started off on a rant. He got mad. And it was like, not everybody just needs to do this. This is ridiculous. And I'm sitting here like, he's angry. He is angry, but I felt that anger, though. I did. I felt that anger because that's what I've been thinking for a long time. But when I say it, oh, I'm that specialist that just doesn't want general dentists to do in surgery. And I'm like, no, I don't care what you do, but you got to at least know what you're doing. Right. So, so who's responsible, guys? You know, I think it's a it's kind of a systemic failure of um, a profit-driven healthcare system, right? Because we're not as driven by positive outcomes as we are profitability. And you can't really just put that on the shoulders of the dentist because the dentist is operating within a system where they got four or $500,000 worth of school debt, right? The industry has, you know, sold them this bill of goods that, you know, to be a good dentist, you also have to be a mogul or entrepreneur, uh, multi-practice owner, um, and we're also living in a society where you, you kind of your your value is measured by your your financial gain over time, right? So even when I'm talking with my classmates, you know, in the conversation is always, you know, lauding who owns the most offices, who has done the most, and you know, maybe I'm just at the age where you know, with life experiences, have just have a slightly different perspective on life, but. That kind of stuff means nothing to me. You know, if you, you can own 10 offices, but if you don't have quality time with your kids, what's, what are you doing with your life? You can be a, a millionaire multi times over, but that doesn't mean that you're putting out quality work. That doesn't mean that you're not potentially taking advantage of employees or over diagnosing patients so you can make that, you know, that, that extra profit. And we know and there's a gray zone on over diagnosing, right. but I feel like it's just the system as a whole. Then you bring in 
the educational system, the private education system, right? The CE courses, the continuums, the labs who come to you and say, don't worry, we got you. We've got this denturist. We'll scan the case. We'll design it. You'll take all the teeth out, put the implants in the same day. We've got your prosthesis. Um, and you got doctors that are jumping from zero to all on X cases with no gradual, you know, kind of ramp up in their education and their experience. And I think there's going to be a, a huge blowback when a lot of these complications, I mean, even now, periimplantitis over the last five years has been the buzzword of every major implant conference. Because all of a sudden we were taught in my day that, oh yeah, once you got an implant, you know, you got that implant for life. And now you people are realizing, oh, not quite so much, you know. And one of the things, so I, I Dentaltown reached out to me um, for another CE article. And so the one I ended up writing was from the perspective of a lot of stuff that I've been learning in, in Perio as far as risk assessment. Mm-hmm. And that's something I felt I wasn't taught as a GP that was doing like a hodgepodge of continuing education courses mm-hmm. is, you know, I, I coined it as, you know, being an actuary when it comes to the tooth that you're thinking about taking out or replacing, right? Why did this person lose this tooth? Oh, it was bone loss. Well, why did they have bone loss? Oh, they got periodontal disease. Why do they have periodontal disease? Is it poor oral hygiene? Is it diabetes? Is it, you know... And so we do very little risk assessment. All we see and all we learn, especially as a GP, is in a lot of our courses, you got a missing tooth, implant. You got a broken tooth, take it out, implant. But you're not looking at the big picture. you know. And a lot of dentists are having implants come back with complications, with bone loss, with inflammation, because they weren't assessing the patient's risk. you know. And I'm showing up to offices where I'm doing consultations because the GP wants me to put an implant where the tooth is missing, but they got seven, eight millimeter pockets everywhere. They clearly don't brush their teeth. And so I'm having to have a conversation with the GP, like, Hey, I don't mind doing the consultations, but you got to do the legwork. Like the fact that this patient has been under your care for, you know, six, seven years, you maybe did scaling and root planing five years ago, but you got them on a six month profi. Like you need them either make the appropriate referrals or, you need to do oral hygiene instruction. You let them know, hey, if you want to implant, that's the reward. The work you got to put in is I need you to come back and you need to start brushing your teeth and you need to show me you can be compliant with that. You know, so there's there's so much big picture that's missed, you know. Well, what, what I'm going to I'm going to push back and ask you for your input when I do this. But, you know, I, I, a lot of the stuff that I hear is, well, insurance kind of dictates a lot, too, or patients dictate. Right. I've had patients come to me after, you know, they're like, hey, I want an implant, like you said. And I'm like, well, you got periodontal disease. we got to take care of that first. And their, their eagerness to just move on to the final product, which is the implant and crown, then they go, oh, well, I don't have time for that. And they'll go somewhere else. And they'll I get guarantee it. you they'll get it. <laughs> yeah. no, I'm serious. And then I'll guarantee you they'll get it. And for me, I'm like, well, if the second I do anything on you, I have to be responsible for that whole entire situation. Mm-hmm. And then I'll also talk to uh, general dentists who don't do occlusal uh, uh, evaluation to check. Can an implant go here without taking on all the forces that it can take on? Right? Like, that's something that, to me, we had to read about learn about. And so I'm almost a, a bit of a, you know, a coward when it comes to you know, malocclusion. Like, I'm like, no, this is not perfect. This is not close to being 
this is not even good. Like, we need to figure out what we need to go through braces or whatever it may be first. But that's not the mindset a lot of people have. So how do you talk to a referring dentist without basically pissing them off and thinking, well, every time I send you a patient, you say, no, they need this, this, and this. Because they're thinking, oh, you just want to make more money. And patients are probably thinking, you just want to make more money. (laughs) Right? But in actuality, you're the only one that's actually doing a thorough job. I mean, Kyle, what do you think? Yeah, I I, I think they're dealing with the patient – I mean, we have to respect the patient autonomy, but we also have to respect the do no harm. So balancing those two things where if we're going over the risks, if somebody has, you know. Kyle, yeah. go, 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 back, go back and uh, say what you were just saying because I think you were kind of coming in and out. Um, so I, I was saying we, we have to respect patient autonomy for them being able to choose what kind of treatments they want performed on themselves. We also have to respect the the whole do no harm to the patient. So, you know, if somebody has a full mouth of perfect teeth, you know, it's we're doing harm to that person by taking out all their teeth and putting implants in. If right. if we if somebody has traumatic occlusion, bruxism, uh, clenching, and they've broken three or four teeth, split them in half, and, uh, and we're trying to replace it with one or two implants when the occlusion and that parafunction is potentially going to cause the same issue with the implants, uh, where is that line that we draw of letting the patient know the risk? This is the risk of, or there is a risk that you might have some problems with these implants. Same with if you have a history of periodontal disease, there's a risk that you're going to get periodontal disease around these implants too if I put them in there if you don't take care of them. So where? Uh, the, so what do you do? Right there, there's a, a there's a big gray area, like you said, of you know what is considered good treatment. What is how much responsibility do we give to the patient to say you have to take care of this, you have to do what I say, otherwise it's not going to work out for you. Uh, and I, I think that's something all of medicine handles. If if you're going to get your heart or a um, heart transplant because you didn't take care of yourself and you continue to eat poor quality foods, you're going to run into the same issue again. But is it our, is it the doctor's responsibility to say, you know what, you didn't take care of it. You're not, I'm not going to give you a heart to, so you can keep living. But, but Kyle, I'll be honest with you, man. I feel like medicine is a little more strict than we are, man. Like I know these doctors, literally these cardiologists that I work with and deal with will not do anything on a patient unless they've gone through this list of stuff that, that needs to be <laughs> damn near perfect right. before they will do it. You know what I mean? Because they expect that what they do should hopefully last a substantial amount of time. Right. But with us, it's just kind of like, what does a patient want? Okay. So I feel like just overall dentistry has con- gone to the left of, you know, almost being like a, uh, like a Chick-fil-A. I use Chick-fil-A as an example because the service is incredible. <laughs> <laughs> the service is incredible. You know what I mean? But but we're not serving just, you know, fries. We're 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 trying to serve good dentistry. So right. we can't just cater to patients and, and all their whims. Because if that was the case, we would have people going around with like porcelain white, you know, toilet looking teeth. You know what I mean? But sometimes we gotta step in and say, guys, this is not this doesn't look normal. Right. How about we try this? How about we try that? So we are, I think we've swung too far. I think we've swung too far where we think patients are the ones that are dictating 
treatment. And I feel like a lot of doctors are like, whatever, I'll just do whatever the patient wants me to do, good or bad. And that's my opinion. I'll speak on that. I'll just say that's my opinion. I think we've, a lot of people have, sw- no, I'm serious. A yeah. lot of people have swung way too far, way, way too far, where I'm like, this tooth could be saved. And they're like, nope, this tooth needs to come out. Or this tooth, you know, uh, needs to come out. And they're like, well, the patient doesn't want it out. It's it's flapping in the wind. Yeah, the patient's not ready for the for it to come out yet. But can you put an implant next to it? No, no, I cannot do that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so it's almost like damned if you do, damned if you don't. You know what I mean? No, I I agree, and I think Kyle, you know, I I like your input, you know, and me having been a, a GP for so long. Um, there's a lot of pressures on us, especially on the yeah. patient demand front. Yeah. You know, it could be as simple as. You know, tooth is broken down, you know, needs a root canal and a crown, patient can't afford it. Right. You know, are we going to deem, you know, most of us probably deem that as a reasonable, uh, reason, a reasonable justification for a treatment that we wouldn't otherwise want to do because we wouldn't, you know, if it's savable, we wouldn't want to take it out. But if they can't afford the root canal and crown, what are we supposed to do? Right. 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 Um, and then you have patients where even if they can't afford it, their value system, value system, you know, growing up, oh, my mom had dentures, my dad had dentures, yes. grandma had dentures. Yes. I'm not going to put two thousand dollars in the tooth. Yeah. You know, that's a month. You know, that's a month's rent, or right. that's my new out here in Washington. That's that's my new hunting rifle. You know, with <laughs> that's right. Kyle, about the same. Let's I see people with better cars than I do. And I'm like, oh, with no teeth. And I'm yep. like, oh, I swear. Yep. That's what they value. Yep. I see that. It's okay. Yeah. So I, th- I think it, it's incumbent on all of us to find our, our individual lane within the, the spectrum of, of, you know, do no harm. Mm. Um, but I think as an industry, it's gone so much towards the profit motive because we're all driven by profit to a certain extent, whether it's paying off our loans, whether it's paying off, you know, our, our rent every month, if we're, you know, an entrepreneur and we got our own business. Um, you know, a lot of us have, have been in school so long, you know, we're starting to make a decent income in our late twenties, early thirties. And we've got to kind of make up for that time with our family, with our wives, with our kids. So I think money in this is kind of the root of all evil, you know? And I, not, not to become over, overly, you know, religious. You just transitioned. <laughs> just trans- Another great transition. Keep going. Keep going. I'm going to bring something else. I really wish that there was either a high, higher reimbursements in general from insurance companies, right? No. Um, no, come on. Go crazy, we're, but- <laughs> we're- <laughs> come on. They treat us good. I, I, I wish there was a... A structured way of reimbursing positive outcomes yeah. mm. um, and preventative medicine and, or dentistry. That's right? not that's not the American way, though. It's not, and that's, no, that's listen. Don't be don't yeah. be communist on us. It's not, a, it's not a communist podcast. <laughs> this is not a socialist podcast. You will no, not. No, no, but I'll, 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 I'll tell you. Happy. I'll tell you a good story. So my uncle in Greece is a, a cardiologist and. Um, a pathologist, which kind of translates to like a, a general doctor, right? But he's also a cardiologist. And when I first got into, you know, graduated, was in the profession, started owning offices, and I acquired my second office, uh, we were sitting down one day on one of my trips back, and he was like, so you own two offices now? 
And I was like, yeah. He was like, well, how do you see all these patients? I was like, well, I got associates that work for me. And he was like, but they come to see you, you know? And I was like, yeah, but, you know, but I mean, I'm trying to run a business. I'm trying to, you know, be a, a, a mogul and all that kind of stuff. And he was just like, but you're a dentist. Like it, was, it was very foreign to him because, mind you, he is your quintessential old school doctor little black bag he has his one little office where he sees patients still gets called at like midnight and and goes and makes house calls to you know to people's homes privately like he is doctor through and through and for him you know and just the culture there especially at the time he couldn't fathom why anybody would want to like outsource start outsource out your patients to associates and the whole business aspect of it like he thought he just thought i was I, america had made me crazy you know, and it, probably, it probably has. It probably has. <laughs> but wouldn't it be nice if you could just make a decent living and truly be concerned just about patient outcomes and not necessarily what your overall production was every month? That would be nice. Not possible in our system, but I, I, w- I would love to get back to that. Um, Isn't that, that happening? Uh, Dr. Um, uh, strive for great health, Dr. Uh, uh, he's a functional oh, medicine, in, functional medicine the doctor. In, uh, the guy in, uh, in Florida? No, he's in, he's in Texas, functional medicine. He's a, he was pharmacy and medicine. Oh, Dr. Uh, um, Harris. Hey, yeah, Dr. Harris. Uh, I think that's the model that functional medicine doctors are following where it's kind of like concierge docs doctor you pay us a monthly fee or a yearly fee or whatever and you know we're we're focused on the outcome not on what services we're actually providing right so it it would be nice to see that in dentistry as well because i I think we all know that the tooth that lasts the longest in anybody's mouth is the tooth that doesn't get touched by the dentist Uh, as soon as (laughs) as soon as we start touching it and working on it it starts that whole process of your filling turns from a filling to a four surface to filling to a crown to a root canal and crown to crown elongation to extraction. And if we don't touch the tooth, it has a better chance of staying in the mouth longer, right? That's, that's the, the Ziv Simon uh, money tooth. Uh, yeah. Good right. And I tell patients that all the time. I, you know, when I'm trying, I want you to brush your teeth. I want you to use fluoride. I want you to, prevent these incipient cavities from turning into fillings because once I do a filling in your mouth, it starts a whole process. Nothing I do is going to last forever. And as soon as I touch this tooth, it's, it's got a, um, you know, an end date on it at some point. You know, uh, that's actually very, very true. Let's transition real quick. And this will be the last topic. Um, There is a stigma or there is, I guess, a rumor out there. And I've talked to people that believe this that in private practice, the doctors don't care about the bottom line at all, really. They're just there to basically work and enjoy life, and they don't care about profitability. But corporations are the greedy, you know, big ones that only care about numbers and not people. And, and you know, I'm going to basically t- say that um, that's a lie. Uh, it used to be that way. I felt like, you know, when you had your own practice, you were like, hey, we're a small family. But more and more, people are taking these courses that say, how do, you, how do I think like a corporation? How do I, like you said, get the multiple practices and become 
uh, a DSO or, or become this conglomerate. You know what I mean? So the, 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 the American dream of, of, of uh, capitalism is, I think, very well, very much alive in everybody. You know, um, maybe some people are doing a better job of hiding it. But I honestly believe, like you said, uh, Dr. Horton, that where do you balance out greed, insurance, and, and wanting to grow as a, as a capitalist, as, a, as a, a business person, right? How do we balance all that out? And I think before, when we did the Great Resignation, and by the way, you guys should all check out YouTube, because it's all on YouTube. <laughs> how do they you know? find you on YouTube? <laughs> Say what? How do, how do they find us on YouTube, Walter? It's very, very simple. It's just Truth Be Told Podcast. Very simple. We kept it very, very simple for everybody. But anyway, I, I felt miserable, but I, I digress. But no, honestly, how do we make sure that we don't lose the, the mom and pop feel that, like, you talked about with your uncle? And, and him, because he, what he said is actually very true, man. Like, I'm, you're, you're confused because when they see your name or they hear about your name, they don't hear about your associate's name. They hear about your name. But, yeah, we're basically punting off <laughs> all the work to our associates or other people when they came to see you. And patients, I'm, I know, get frustrated with seeing a different doctor every time. Because let's be real, associates aren't lasting like they used to. Right? right? So we're, we're in this situation where people aren't lasting like they used to. Doctors don't want to really do work because they're thinking about retirement before they even touch a tooth. Right? And everybody's looking at Instagram and saying, I want to be like that doctor, but they don't know how far or how long it took to get to that point. Right, but we're all supposed to be riding in like private jets and, and, and so forth. Like, how do we come back to reality? You got a private jet? I sold it to I sold it yesterday. No, you sold I, it. Said, <laughs> I, said, I said, it's time for me to be humble. Yeah. Gas prices were too high. <laughs> that's, that's, actually, that's, that's actually all it was. It was like, you know what? It's, it takes me, it's, it's millions of dollars to maintain. I said, you know, I'm tired of this. You know, let me just stick to my Lambo and, uh, <laughs> you know, Lamborghini and, 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 and my kids, you know, being uh, real scholars, I'm right, right. Catch it, you know? my four and two year old being real scholars. But yeah, no, man. But like, how do we get back to reality? And I think we are we're lost. I think dentistry is lost, and I we need to get back to reality. How do we how do we do that? Well, I think one of the things that I don't think we can ever get back to that because the the corporate model has kind of overtaken everything, and now the small mom and pop places have to compete with the corporate models. Um, because they're opening up all around us. And so, so it's like Walmart. So it's like it Walmart. It's, it's okay. putting all the private, you know, uh, grocery stores out of business. Every time a Walmart pops up, there's like 40 businesses that go under. Mm. Right. Um, and so Washington state did have a law or does have a law saying that to own a practice, you have to be a licensed dentist. But they got around that, right? You got investment for money oh, yeah. that finds one dentist and puts everything in his or her name. So now they got 60 offices in Washington that's under their name. Um, and so I honestly, I'm very pessimistic about what the culture is going to look like for the next generation. Because I'm literally talking to these dental students who just off undergrad and dental school are having two or three times as much debt as I had. Mm -hmm. You know, 
they're not necessarily being compensated much better. Their skill set isn't much better coming out to where they can command larger, um, you know, and we, we know we all know the moniker that Walter likes to use for new graduates, <laughs> especially in the COVID era, right? <laughs> but um, Listen, tell, me, tell me if I was wrong in any, tell me if I was wrong. You're not, you're not wrong, yeah. you know? And it's not their fault. It's just right. that they didn't learn anything. They didn't learn anything. They, they didn't. And, you know, then you got schools that are increasing class sizing, increasing tuition because they know that the, the financial aid market is going to give them whatever, you know, if, if it's 200 grand a year next year, government's going to give that and it's going to be a, a guaranteed loan that you can't get rid of even with the bankruptcy. Um, so I feel like the deck is stacked against, you know, not only dentists, but as, you know, against the profession as a whole. And, and the culture until it is really just one big, you know, investment algorithm that dictates everything that we do. It's amazing you say that because I know uh, there are a lot of money coming into dentistry. Yeah. A lot of private equity money coming into dentistry, man. Like, it's kind of like the housing market right now, right? I was reading an article, uh, yes, was it last night or this morning, that was talking about the housing market and basically how difficult it is for new homeowners to find a house to the point where they're just, they're just giving up. They're like, I've, I've, you know, I, I, I actually like bid 20,000, 30, 40,000 over ask. And I'm still not getting it because there are people that have all cash offers, no contingencies or anything. And that's where I think dentistry is going. And, and in all honesty, I feel like dentists are also selling to those because they're like, Oh, I'll get more money for my practice versus uh, somebody like myself that comes in and says, Hey, let me look at your books, do all this extra stuff and say, oh, well, no, your office is actually valued at this amount. Right. Maybe private equity might say, nah, hey, give them, you know, an extra 200000 more. Who cares? We'll, we'll turn it around. We'll make the money back. Right. You know what I mean? And that's what's happening, I think. As, right. as the optimist, as the forever optimist. <laughs> Uh, what, what is the, (laughs) what is the benefit of this private equity money coming in DSOs or other, um, you know, the smaller DSOs, but one of the benefit I see there is most dentists have no experience with business, how to run a business effectively. Uh, we are in a very forgiving industry where we can be a terrible business person and still make a pretty good living for ourselves. And I think a lot of the dental companies have taken advantage of that. The, you know, the Henry Shines, the Pattersons, the um, any other Kerr or, or, or any supplier. I mean, what they can make bonding agent for and what they sell it for. I mean, it costs them pennies to make a bonding agent, but they're selling it at like it works out to either 500 or a couple thousand dollars per gallon for I mean, we're not buying it by the gallon, but that's what it equates to. And I mean, for the technician to come into your office and they charge $160, $200 per hour to work on your stuff while you're there, and we just pay it because we're not business people, we're kind of stuck in that where DSOs, private equity money, business people coming into our field, it's forcing these suppliers to like, no, I guess we can't really take advantage because there's more buying power. Uh, they're still taking advantage of the the small single loan yeah. offices, but there's a portion of them that are, you know, especially the DSOs, they, uh, they're not able to take advantage quite as much. And that, that's starting to trickle down through uh, different 
there, there's a, I've mentioned Fortune Management as a consulting group that I use, but they work with a, a new company called True Blue, where it gives you that DSO buying power, those DSO discounts, because they manage enough offices that they can help out the independent dentist by signing up for these co-ops or, or other things. So it's that model is trickling down where it can help the independent dentist get those same kind of discounts and same business um, benefits that we should be entitled to. Well, here's a question, Kyle, and and the same goes for you, uh, Leroy. So just like with anything, right. And I'm, I've, I learned this when COVID happened, when we went through this whole, you know, supply chain issue, right. Companies are very, very smart, right. They're very, they're billions of dollars making billions of dollars. So they're very, very smart. So if you think that they're not going to cut costs, cut corners, you know, make a product that's less inferior, uh, I'm sorry, more inferior than what you previously had, and just to save money, you're, you're kidding yourself. So maybe that bonding agent that maybe lasted six months, you know, the shelf now only lasts three months. Oh, because you think they, oh, well, we're going to negotiate with us. Cool. That's fine. Negotiate all you want. But we're just going to give you something that you're going to need to come back to us three months later versus six months later because the, the stuff has expired. So that's going to happen, right? So what do we really, what do we accomplish in the end besides we've lost our uh, autonomy? That, what, what, what else did you accomplish? That, 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 negati- that negativity water, it just, <laughs> oof. I, I choose to look at the positive. The free market, if you're buying something that doesn't work, I can go to a different company and somebody's going to want to put out a good product that is going to have repeat customers. That's if that's if you are willing to take the time to understand the product you're purchasing. Right. That goes back to a lot of dentists not even knowing what they're buying. They right. just know that some guy, some guru recommended it. Right. It we basically become Instagram. Right. <laughs> some influencer right. <laughs> recommended something to you and, and you got to remember. Yeah. You got to remember that a free market is predicated on there not being the amount of consolidation that we have currently in our system. So now you have, you know, Densply buying up all its small competitors. You have Henry Schein buying up its small competitors. Um, And so although in an ideal world, yeah, in a true free market, um, you could theoretically say that there would be someone that puts a better product at a reasonable price, but we're seeing monopolies across the board. We're seeing monopolies on insurance companies, manufacturing companies, yeah. Uh, yeah. distribution companies, mm-hmm. and so you're 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 really limited on what you can. And especially when you see, for instance, you'll have a um, a company that puts out a product that you know patents are starting to run out. Well, they'll start lobbying to make policy change, to make a new FDA approval of a competing product product more expensive, more difficult. You see that with insurance companies, right? So the major insurance companies, especially here in Washington, were lobbying for policy to make uh, any new startup insurance have to have a larger percentage of uh, liquid assets, right? which made it impossible for new insurance companies to, to start up. But if you're already established, you can maintain that higher liquidity because you, you've been there. You've, you, you understand what I'm saying? I agree, so, yeah. So I, I think in all what ends up happening is they're just gradually assimilating us 
um, into this perpetual system of, you know, money trickling up, you know, not really trickling down, but money trickling up to the, you know, the, the, the big companies and big corporations, the, the more and more that they consolidate. Let's, uh, let's wrap it up here. We're depressed. Now. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. Oh, there, there goes my optimism. <laughs> that lasted like five seconds. <laughs> we'll, we'll all move to Cuba or something. Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> <good>. <laughs> I'll come pick you guys up with my private jet. Let me know when you guys are ready. But no, this, this, I think this had to happen. This had to, you know, we had to have a conversation because I, I'm seeing this happen again. And I know this podcast is big on let's just let's just talk about what we're seeing. You know, I mean, well, let's talk about what we're seeing going on in dentistry and how we can either solve it, bitch about it, or or, or just let it go. You know, or, or find solutions to it. So that's what we're doing right now. I. We'll, we'll come back and then we'll keep doing this and we'll figure out what we need to do. We'll figure out what we need to do. But but thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Horton. I really appreciate yeah. you taking the time. Well, thank you for the invite. Uh, I, I missed you guys. we got to do this a bit more often. Yeah, Absolutely. When I, whenever you want. And did you uh, can you send us that link so that people can actually read that uh, article you wrote? Yeah, I'll send it. It's supposed to be in the June issue, but he's trying to push it out for the May issue. Uh, So as soon as that article comes out, I'll I'll send you the link or, you know, in a month or two, if we do another session, we'll uh, talk about it. You are always welcome on here, man. You're always welcome. And and also, I'm going to be teaching, lecturing and teaching a hands-on portion at the NDA convention in Arizona in July. Oh, so okay. if you or anyone else that is interested in, uh, there's going to be a couple uh, uh, pretty good lecturers on that card. Um, and it's in beautiful Arizona at the, can't remember the name of the resort, uh, so I can't give it a plug. But uh, yeah, just go to ndaonline.org uh, okay. or .com. Okay. And, and what uh, part of Arizona? Uh, Phoenix. Phoenix. Okay. Phoenix. Nice. If you're a golfer, you can always go out there yeah. and at least enjoy that too. You know, yeah. uh, I've been to Phoenix. I've been to Tucson. It's it's a good place to go. I'm in the summertime. <laughs> <laughs> like one one ten one fifteen. Right, 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 right. But winter's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. You know? No, absolutely. You, uh, we'll we'll definitely get, uh, give us a link and we'll put it on there on the show notes and we'll yep. go from there. Awesome. All, All right, fellas. Right, great talking to you. you Thank too. you. Excellent. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to Tooth Be Told. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at realdentist with an S at gmail.com. That's realdentist, R-E-A-L, dentist with an S at gmail.com. Remember, the opinions in this podcast are just that, our professional opinions. The final decision about your health should be made by you (laughs) and a trusted dental professional.